and welcome to Noise Creators episode 21. This week, I'm really excited to be here with Stuart Richardson. Stuart is super, super smart and knowledgeable and talented. And this one's exciting because his band, No Devotion, I've been listening to their record for a long time. You may know Stuart from being in the band before, which was Lost Prophets. No Devotion pits some memories from that with uh, Jeff Rickley from Thursday who just really killed it on this record, and I think are doing something really cool, unique, and just really also have the composition songs go through it. And you get to know some of the ideas of how Stewart got there and got the level of skill that he got and the level of production. And he also just talks about working with lots of great producers who inspired him and gave him some great, great, great ideas. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation because he's an awesome dude. So check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? I'm going into a SM7. Mm-hmm. Uh, always makes me feel like I'm in like a radio station when I have one of those in front of me. So, nice. <laughs> you know, I feel kind of pro right now. Nice. And <laughs> uh, then we're going into a, a Vintac 573. Nice. Very into, good for you. Yeah. And, you know, I love Neve. You know, mm-hmm. Vintac is a little uh, more affordable. Mm-hmm. And it sounds great. Then we're going into a Distressor, going into an LA-2A. Oh. Then, we, then we're using like a Poltac kind of clone uh, called Analog All-Stars. It's an EQP mm. 1S5, which sounds great. Nice. And then we're going into a, the HDS converters into Pro Tools. So is the distressor into an LA2 a normal thing for you when you're recording vocals? Yeah, that's kind of how I like to do it. I like to use the distressor kind of like an 1176. Uh-huh. You know, we kind of take off the peaks and then use the LA2A to smooth everything out. You know, so you can, you can kind of get the vocals kind of kind of in your face, but kind of not too pointy. Or, you know what I mean? You can kind of get things sounding nice and creamy and kind of you know, warm or whatever, whichever adjective you want to use to describe music, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that, that, that is always the tough one, is getting everybody on the same page of the adjective that you should be properly using. Yeah, just don't, never use the word moist. <laughs> no, no, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't think about that, because, like, yeah. moist is such an opposite of warm in some yeah. ways. <laughs> so, so you really don't want that. I never thought of that. That's no, good. I know. He's, this guitar sounds so moist right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, All right. Shit. We're, we're yeah. breaking ground already. This yeah. is new things. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> so tell me about your background in music. So I grew up in a really small town in Wales, in the, the Rhonda Valleys. There's probably like 10 people and, and you know, some sheep. You know, like the, <laughs> the stereotypes are not quite as true as you think, but not far off, you know. So 
So I grew up there. Um, and I started playing bass when I was 15. Played in some, you know, crappy bands like everybody else did, doing covers of like Quicksand and Helmet and all that nice. kind of thing. You well, know, that's, just, well, that's a better cover band than most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was lucky, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure we slipped in some Metallica covers and stuff at the time as well, you know. But I had to try and drop some cool bands first, you know. Mm. <laughs> but then, yeah, basically, I, I started playing bass, and it just seemed like the less attention-seeking instrument to me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just, uh, I don't really, I never really wanted to be a singer. Even mm-hmm. though, like, I was always drawn to singers, I just the thought again on stage and like actually talking to people terrifies me still to this day. <laughs> like doing this podcast right now, my heartbeat is going like at 175 miles per hour. You know, <laughs> so, you're you're naturally good, so so, so yeah. <laughs> that, but I do, I do know the feeling. I'm the same way. Yeah, like talking about myself is you know is not a natural thing. Anyway, so uh, my my parents are into cool music. I grew up listening to David Bowie. Mm. And then, you know, that was like a huge influence. I remember the first time I heard Heroes when I was a kid. I didn't realize why I liked the album so much, but, you know, on reflection, I'm like, that, you know, the song Heroes is five verses. You know what I mean? It stays the same all the way through. Yeah. And, you know, he just starts off slow and then it builds up. And by the end of it, he's like screaming his heart out. That just kind of had a massive effect on uh, like music and how it would shape me, you know, later on. So, yeah. So I got into David Bowie and then I got into. I was a teenager, so obviously I got into, you know, hardcore. You know, mm-hmm. yep. you know what I mean? I grew up listening to Black Flag. You know, I was a little mini Henry Rollins for a minute, you know, kind of <laughs> nice. annoy, annoying everybody and being self-righteous, you know, and just, you know, that kind of guy. And then I kind of got into um, alternative stuff like Afghan Wigs, Sonic Youth, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, the Pixies. Yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of, that's where I started, you know, so. So play it play it in bands how does playing in bands lead you to your bigger bands and uh producing i started producing i i guess like everybody else i borrowed a drum machine mm-hmm. of somebody mm-hmm. i bought a four track and i started looping things and you know and just kind of you know just come up with noises and just you know very very inspired by like a downward spiral at the time oh you know, yeah you know so i was just stored in the tape you know together the like the nice nails drum sound you know nice <laughs> you know i didn't have any preamps to distort so it's like this just distort this like tdk tape you know nice, nice. <laughs> you know and then yeah. you know like i said i was into like the rollins band where you had andrew weiss you know weiss you know playing bass who was like record loads of cool bands and do it all on four track i didn't realize that the four track he had was probably like a half inch whereas i was doing on a tdk's you know <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, funny. you know what i mean but you know you know you just do what you can do right so i started um recording bands locally you know just hey come and do stuff with me you know let's, you know let's just <laughs> let's just hang out and play guitar and then i did a demo for one band and the guy ended up going to like music college then he his dad bought him a studio mm-hmm. you know and then uh, he's like hey wait, wouldn't you come work for me Wow. So, so I, you know, I started working for him, and at the same time, I was going to college doing, like, a diploma, you know, mm-hmm. in music. They didn't even have a studio there, you know. <laughs> it was so, so much a joke. It just turned up and it's like, this is what a compressor does in theory. You know? Oh man, that is because <laughs> <And> <laughs> recording it, schools are bad enough. Never yeah, mind without getting yeah, to this, play with the they gear. Were like, they were like, we haven't actually got the funding to do it right now. So, imagine if we had EQ right now, I could make my voice sound brighter or duller. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is this is really really inspiring right now so i started so i started i was lucky enough to start working with this guy and um you know he was he wasn't that much older than me and i was probably like 20 at the time so he just gave me free time at the studio so i started bringing every band i could up the studio and recording every band every local band again trying to get part of the scene and that's how i met the band that i you know ended up you know having a career with so yeah you know i just i guess i just kind of lucked into it you know but you know i i guess at the same time i was just I was very active in making it work, you know, so in you know, right place, right time and all that. 
Nice. You have your own studio. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? I guess you're building something right now, too. Yeah, yeah. So right now, I, I, I moved from L.A. to Florida about two years ago. I've started working with a guy called Nick Bannock, mm-hmm. who's real cool. And he has a he has a great studio here that has... I'm in here right now, and I'm looking at around. There's just guitars everywhere, and every amp you could need, every preamp you'd need. It's great we work together, but for us both to work together, you know, we need a larger budget, you know, to get things done. And I was starting to, I was starting to have to like turn bands down mm. to work with them. That's not really why I want to be doing music is to turn bands down. So we decided, like, I decided to build like a, a studio B, you know, so nice. I can I can offer bands to come up there and record with me as well if the budget is lower and then we can just have fun it's gonna be a little tougher you're gonna have to rougher a little bit up there you know i think it's a it's a cool way to get like young bands just up and running because i was a struggling artist once and i know it's like a, you know to, to spend five thousand dollars on a record when you're just getting started you know is pretty terrifying and a lot mm-hmm. of these kids don't have the money and if i see a band i like the look of or i like the sound of or i think has potential then I just want to be able to take them somewhere where they can just get something to get them playing shows and get them started and get them excited you know and that's kind of why i started the new spot so yeah, so we, we got like everything we need here really to, to make to make music. So that's awesome. I like that philosophy. Tell me something unique about the studio. I guess like location wise, there's there isn't like a ton to do around here, which which is kind of cool for bands, I think, because you know, like I've recorded in LA and New York, and you go to the studio like two hours a day, and then you're off partying. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's like yeah, when I'm in New York, this is amazing. I'm from a small town in Wales, and I'm not going to be out in New York all the time. You know, what I mean? trying to meet everybody. So. So it's really cool. Like I was, I was inspired by Dave Fridman's log cabin yes. up in Buffalo, you know. And I was like, obviously, Dave. Fr- I'm no Dave Fridman, you know. But um, people go there just to work with him, you know. It's like there's nothing in Buffalo, you know. It's 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 just freezing cold, you know. It's it's brutal, <laughs> brutally cold. Like Dave's awesome. He has a place where you can stay. So I was kind of like, well, clearly we can make it work here, you know. And so we have the ocean about two blocks away. Wow. And we live on like a little barrier island. So if you want to go surfing anytime, you can. If you're like out of, you know, I've had a couple of bands come over from the UK where, um, you know, they'll turn into like a vacation. You know, they'll come over and they'll do like the Disney World and the Universal because, you know, in the UK, that's like a big deal. You know, it's like, shit, man, we're going to Universal. You know, was, you know, you're living in like LA for a while. Like, ah, oh, dude, Universal, really? Why the fuck do you want to go there? You know, but Ma- uh, Magic Mountain again? Really? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's like a real just a real cool spot to make a record but you know the most unique thing is just the people you're you know it's mm. like you know it's it's just like i've been through it all mm-hmm. you know i've done i i've been on both sides of the glass like a hundred times you know and i know exactly how disappointing and frustrating it can be to go to the studio for the first time i know how exciting it can be i know you know i i, I feel like i can read people's moods better than a lot of producers just because i've been that guy who was kind of nervous and scared to share ideas you know and i always want to make artists feel like they're safe yeah i feel like that's what we offer as like a unique thing yeah you know i, I think that's it basically it's just it's just it's just getting people to feel comfortable and getting bands to feel comfortable let them trust you you know trust is the biggest thing you can you can have with mm-hmm. a band you know and I, I i definitely spend a lot of time getting to know people so they feel like they're never being taking down the wrong path or, or doing something they don't want to do. Yeah, I think it, I, it's interesting, like, the thing you talk about reading people because I think yeah. that that's one of the things that the momentum of the studio can really sweep people up. And yeah. if you're not, if you keep ignoring that for four hours, that's one of the biggest ways something can start to go wrong is if you don't watch what's happening as it goes. I've definitely, you know, 
neglected some people in the past, you know, where you're just like, okay, you're done for now, you know, just just go chill. And then mm-hmm. you can just see them kind of seething in the corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you, you know, you haven't done anything wrong. And you're just trying to get things moving. But, you know, for some reason, they've, they're mad at you and they get mad at you. And then by the end of the night, you fucking suck. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> nice. and you're like, great dude so then you gotta sit down and kind of talk them off the cliff you know so i think you you did make a good point like you know i think a lot of people until they've experienced the seclusion in a studio don't kind of take it for granted like i used to record down in the lower east side in manhattan and um it was like one of those things where it was like it was literally a constant constant interruption of people coming by and you'd lose that momentum and all that stuff and then the second uh i moved the studio i'm literally only five blocks outside of manhattan into new jersey but i'm in a town that no one goes to because there's nothing to go to there and you really do get things done when you're not in a place where it's like okay yeah it's time to party or yeah my friend could stop by yeah no i i agree i think that's i think it's a huge thing to be away from the action you know bands we just we just can't uh <laughs> we can't now go and have a good time you know? <laughs> it is true that is why most musicians get, get yeah, into yeah it. you know that's where it's about you know like i said growing up in a small town you know like new york was a dream i never thought i'd visit you know mm. so so tell me about uh, the coolest piece of gear you have. I saw that in your picture, you have like all these cool analog synthesizers. Tell me about something that's really cool. Yeah, in the studio. yeah. My my main like aesthetic really when it comes to like unique things is I'm not afraid to like use really cheap cheap things, mm-hmm. you know, to to get sounds. And I love using cheap microphones. You know, I'll have like a like a like a Zoom like you know studio 1201 like those crappy like multi-effects boxes which cost mm-hmm. like 50 bucks next to, like dave hill europas you know what i mean <laughs> nice, like, nice. you know what i mean just just to like fuck stuff up i love cheap reverbs mm-hmm. like that was that was the best thing about working with dave friedman was seeing like the gnarliest most high-tech you know like just impossibly amazing like sounding gear next to like just shit boxes you know mm. and i think i think the character you get from those can't be you know replicated with plugins you know there's there's no way of you know just faking those things you know just shitty sounding things to me have a perfect place in every recording <laughs> that's yeah. right that's what i try to bring to every <laughs> a layer of shit <laughs> nice, nice, nice. <laughs> no but i'm serious I, I i love like i've always loved the like lo-fi i grew up you know listening like pavement and stuff mm-hmm. you know what i mean and yeah like, yeah well, I, I've, I've always loved feedback and i've always loved guitar hum i hate it when albums are overly edited too much and i've always just try to seek things out, you know, the broken pedals, you know, broken microphones, anything, just just to make something unique and not something else that you know is just preset five on amplitude or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, you no. know, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I think it's you know it's very hard to stick out in the music these days because everybody's using the same tools. So any anything you can do on the way in to make it different is is you know is is imperative to me. So you talked about you play bass. Do you play any other instruments? Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I play bass anymore. <laughs> you know, you start working in the studio, you know, and it's like, you know. I, I, know. I, I say it all the time. I'm like, I well, I played drums in a band at one point. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I played keyboard in another band, but I don't know that it means I can play either anymore. Yeah, I, I laid bass on something the other day, and I was just like, I think I said I'm sorry about a hundred times you know? <laughs> in five minutes. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me just try that again. Let me t- yeah, bass is my main instrument, and then I can play guitar enough to like get through a song. You know, I'm no shredder, but I can, you know. I know some sweet chords, you know, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and uh, I, I play keyboard, 
you know, I'm you know, I'm probably the same as every keyboard player out there right now. I'm really uh, really good with MIDI, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> really yes. good really good at editing myself. The the right right hand strong, left hand not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a pretty sick uh, keyboard drummer, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yep. I can I can, you know, program drums and, you know, I I, I get what I can just just to make music, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it kind of gets to the point where you get a little older and you realize that maybe being the sickest bass player on the planet doesn't really mean shit. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh cool, so someone who likes Primus likes your music. <laughs> like, Whoa, that's, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's quite an accomplishment. You know? <laughs> I like that. That's really good. <laughs> so you know, good for you and all that, you know. But like, let's let's actually listen to some songs right now. You know what I mean? So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I just you know, I'm in love with songs. You know, so you know that's what it's all about. And plus, being a bass player. I've been listening to your, your, your podcast. You know, bass players are getting picked on a lot. You know, so. I, I, I make a lot of a lot of jokes about about that in the, in the book, but it, but it's all out of love. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's like a lot of bass players. You know, it is it is a very easy instrument to kind of hide behind and mm-hmm. kind of slack off on. You know, and I feel like a lot of producers start off on bass and drums because they didn't get any chance to really get themselves yured you know in the band mm-hmm. context because it's like hey guys I got a song yep. and they're like sure the bass player's got a song great <laughs> and then everyone steamrolls their ideas and then you, you're like you know what guys I'll fucking show you <laughs> so you sit down and you learn how to engineer and write these songs and you send it back and you're like see guys I kind of knew what I was talking about right <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true you know um, Steve Evitz uh, yeah. uh, he was a bass player and uh, he always says it. he's like you know the bass bass player is like two there's two types it's like the guy with the worst ideas or the best ideas yeah yes and that, that, yeah. No, not much of an in between no <laughs> <laughs> it's either you so, got into it because you have no interest in it or you have a lot of interest and this is just where you see I mean you know the funny thing for me is is like that's like if somebody was like you have to be in a band tomorrow that's what I would play yeah 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 I think I think like I think the thing with playing bass is you're right in the middle of like the drums and Mm -hmm. you know the melodic instruments so you kind of you start to see the bigger picture sooner than maybe other players in the band Mm-hmm. You know, like the guitarist is always like, you know, worried about like shredding, you know, like even, even the best guitarist still don't listen to anybody else, you know? <laughs> it's, it's true. You know what I mean? Like he's awesome, you know, but like, yeah, let me show you the stuff that, which I cut from the song, you know? <laughs> you know, which you had to like, you know, skillfully edit his, you know, choice moments out, you know? So, <laughs> yep. so you know, I, I think the bass player always kind of has like that kind of, guess it, guess it kind of take it all in a little more. Yeah, I think it's like even the thing of like, you are the bridge between the drums and the guitars. Like you're doing the two things and you have to be, pay attention to that. I think there's also something interesting that like I've noticed over the years too, of that a bassist, because you're playing so much monophonic stuff, you almost, a lot of bassists get a better ear for pitch than guitarists who I think... I literally think the guitarists don't always get it just because they're so lazy about tuning their guitars that they just get used to out of tune notes yeah. and everything. But like that monophonic thing with the bass, it's just like, and it stays in tune a little longer. You just get this yeah. like enforced sense of really good pitch. Yeah, there's yeah, there's always that moment st- you know, on stage when you play the wrong note and five people are looking at you. You know, yes. like, what the fuck are you doing? You're like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it definitely, yeah, you're definitely the rock in the nice. band. Yeah. So we've been saying on this podcast that there's like, you know, a scale of like, let's call one side of it, uh, Steve Albini, who doesn't really get involved. And then the other side of it, John Feldman, who totally rewrites the song. Where do you see yourself on that scale when you work with a band as a producer? It depends on the band. You know, I've worked with John mm-hmm. and he's, he's very forceful, you know, mm. and uh, I think for some bands it works out real well. For me, uh, not so much, you know, mm. <laughs> 
You know, what I mean? it was interesting. It, was, it wasn't my, it wasn't my kind of, a, you know, ideal experience. You know, he's he's clearly very, very talented. So you know, I don't think that needs to be taken from him. I I think you know, there's some bands that come in, and you know, all you all you have to do is just record it and try not to fuck up their shit you know what I mean mm, you just yeah, like yeah. you know and then you can just totally pull a Steve Albini and say dude I think take two is better but other than that like we're good and there's other bands where the bass player doesn't have any idea that the drummer's actually playing anything you know mm, and you're like yep. okay let's lock this in a little bit hey guitar guy maybe you show the other guitarist what you're playing you know and then there's that level of just trying to get the band listening to each other mm-hmm. and then there's times where you've just got to write the chorus with people you know where they just they're like I'm stuck Mm-hmm. So you've got to sit down and come up with the chords. Like I always try to do a lot of pre-production with bands. Mm-hmm. Budgets are small these days, you know. Living mm-hmm. like the one trouble with living in seclusion right now is like, I have to get bands to stay in hotels. Mm-hmm. So when I had pre-production, when I had pre-production, it's um, it's an extra couple of days, you know, budget. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of tough to do that. So we try to do. A, I try to get bands to demo a lot mm-hmm. and send me demos, and I can comment on those. And we can kind of do pre-production that way. I definitely kind of sit in the middle, I guess. There's been times where I've, you know, practically wrote a song for someone. You mm-hmm. know, it, 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 it is what, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes I just, I'm always, like I said earlier on, I'm always careful of reading the room. Make sure I'm not like pushing myself on people too much. You know, I, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to, I don't want people to feel like they're, sh- they're not proud of their own music. You know, I want to, I want everybody to walk out of there to feel like it's 100% their band and they're completely, because they go on stage and play that for the next two years. You know, they've, they've got to feel proud of what they did. Because if they're just on there writing, playing some song that somebody else wrote for them that they don't dig, that didn't do so well, you know what I mean? Then they're screwed. And, if, yeah. and, and sometimes, you know, I'll see a band where they'll get someone to write their song for them. That'll be the big song. Then they're fucked. Because then they've <laughs> yes. got, they got to go that guy all the time. You yeah. know, and it's kind of, it's tough. I kind of really like the Rick Rubin approach. Mm-hmm. You know, where, you know, I, I have people, I have bands come in, they go, dude, Rick Rubin sucks. Mm. He just comes in and sits on a couch and I'm like, do you know what he's doing? He's like, yeah. he's, he's taking the bigger picture in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, that's the best guy you can have. <laughs> that's the guy who's like thinking about everything. He's thinking about every nuance of your band. He's not just thinking about, you know, like, does this kick drum work with this bass pattern? He's thinking of every little tiny part of your, you know, he's, he's thinking the biggest picture he can. And I always, I always try to like, get bands to kind of think that way you know where you, mm-hmm. you like you know you don't sound like a therapist it's like hey guy why are you doing this you know mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> why, are, why are you playing this why are you trying to say this what does that mean you know like just trying to like punch up lines because you know sometimes singers will sing in first person then they go to third person so yes. you sit there and you you know you're like this doesn't make much sense it makes sense to you but as a someone reading this on a piece of paper right now this is fucking garbage mm-hmm. you know what i mean so I don't know, you know. I, no, 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 you're making a really great point, and I okay. think that that's like one of the things is too is that Rick Rubin, like you know, whether we want to measure it in record sales, sales, he's arguably the most successful record in the modern era of music, and yeah, for sure. it, it is that thing of like. I can literally remember hearing, I, I guess it was uh, during the Mars Volta record or whatever, like how little he showed up and how mad they were about it from a, yeah. from a friend in the band. And it was like, you know, I was like, wow, that's, that's fucking so dumb. And then I started to get it is that like, you know, he keeps his ob- objectivity and he's exactly. able to look at the macro and not the micro. And the macro yep. is really what matters in a record yes. overall. Yeah, that's the hardest thing to keep going, you know, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're like halfway through a session. Mm-hmm. And you know you you you're trying to keep on top of you know obviously time's running out because time's always running out. Yes, there's there's always some guy in the band who's like a little like pissy. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're trying to deal with him, you know, and like you're like I'm putting all my mental you know strength into like keeping this one guy happy. You know, it's, stress is going along, and then you just have to kind of 
close your eyes, go to like some Rick Rubin Zen-like state, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, go, I go, just, go, go in that sauna he has where he then goes in the ice bath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then just try and figure out what the fuck is the point of what you're doing, you know? And mm-hmm. then you kind of go in and you kind of slap yourself around the face and you go back in, you're like, okay, guys, this is what we're doing. And then hopefully... You know, you can you can make sense of everything rather than just trying to get lost in every tiny little edit. I, I like that. So tell me about what you think you bring to records most often. I think I've just, like I said earlier, I've been through it all. Mm. You know, I've I've been in like a quote-unquote big band. You know what I mean? Like, yep. you know, I've worked with lots of big producers. I've worked with like Eric Valentine and Bob Rock, you know, John Fellman, Ken Andrews. Um, I've met with loads of big producers like Greg Wells. And, you know, like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've had opportunity to meet a lot of people and, you know, you get to see how they do things. And I, I think I know how to keep an artist happy, you know, mm. like, because, you know, I am an artist, you know, mm. and um, I think that's that's something that people can, you know, producers can, can forget sometimes. It's very hard to, like, lay your life, you know, your soul down, you know, mm. and, you know, I, I forget it too. Like, I'll be working on a band, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Just sing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, the, on the crying. <laughs> and you're like, okay, okay, I've, I've been here before. How do I feel? You know, so I have this, like, built-in, like, empathy, mm. you know, and I feel, you know, you've been in bands, you know how it is, you know, I think that's, that's, that's the one thing that I bring, I think, is just empathy towards everybody, almost to my detriment sometimes that I'm always trying to keep people happy, you know, but, and then I think just my aesthetic is, is, I don't like things to be, I don't want things to go out sounding like just a bloody mess, you know what I mean? But mm. I like things to kind of be raw. I like things to have more personality. I don't like things to be overly done. Generally, you know, you got to do what the band dictates, you know? I, I've, I've definitely cleaned up some bands which should have stayed raw. Mm. You know what I mean? And I've definitely done, the, you know, vice versa as well, where, you know, I've done a band which should have sounded like Jimmy Eat World and they come, they come out of here sound like the Bronx. <laughs> no, nice, nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, oops. Yeah, you know, yeah. but... Uh, you know, it, maybe it's not quite as bad as that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a tough thing because when you start talking to a band, they'll tell you an influence and then you kind of run with it and you realize like, oh, well, that guy likes that band a little bit, but the rest of the band hates that. And then all of a sudden you go down that road and it, it's a tough thing to find where to bring out those elements of each band. And But it also really helps sometimes because... You know, there is a thing of that there's already 5,000 bands that are imitating the Jimmy Eat World sound, but if you yeah. play like Jimmy Eat World and you sound, uh, like the Bronx a little, that at least brings something new to the table. Exactly, yeah. You know, I think that's, you just you just nailed it there, where there's always 10,000 bands doing the same kind of thing. It's like, what can you do to bring it out? You know, what what are you doing that's unique? And, you know, sometimes it's just, sometimes it's, they mean it more, you know what <laughs> I mean? Which, yeah. which, you know, which goes a long way, you know? Like, there's a lot of bands I can think of right now, which... No, you know, no melody I wouldn't like, but they just, it, I just feel it, you know? And I'm like, yeah. okay, this is fucking awesome. You know, like you, you know, I, I, I think you said in an earlier podcast, it's like, there's no, uh, like emotion plugin. Yes. You know what I mean? Which I still, I've already stolen. Nice, <laughs> so nice, I, nice. Don't tell anybody you said it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no credits. Get, no, I yeah, always, yeah, give, it's, I it's, always it's, give credits. Okay. But, uh, no, I agree completely. It's like, you know, I can, you know, if you hear the same thing over and over and then you just, you're one band doing it, they, they mean it, then. You just got to make sure you capture that. Nice. So what's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process? The smartest thing I see bands doing is um, is demoing. 
in this day and age, it's like if you if you can't demo slang, then what are you doing? You know what I, you know what I mean? It's, it's you should be listening back to yourselves. You should be getting an idea of how it sounds. You know, I know it's cool to be a punk rock band and be in in your garage slamming away or whatever. You know, but record it with an iPhone if you have to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just 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 do it. But like, I definitely appreciate it when a band will come in with a you know with a pro tool session and they've mm-hmm. you know they've put like fake drums down, they've recorded their guitars, and then a lot of the time I'll use those as like you know guide tracks if I feel like the the structure's okay, you know? So it's cool to use like the, the demo tracks as guide tracks, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe elastic time them to get the tempos where you want them, you know, but you can use that. And a lot of times you can use some of the guitar parts from the demo in the session, you know, if they've nailed a sound, which you just think is great, you know, like I'd love to use that because even if it's like a little small part, then they know that they recorded something on the record, you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. gives them a lot more like investment into it again. Cause it's like, dude, I recorded that guitar part in my fucking mom's bathroom. You know what, yeah, I, mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? They get stoked. You know what I mean? It's like, it's cool. So I think just demoing things out, you know, listening to each other, like, you know, there should always be like a band leader. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There usually is. It's usually, yeah. you know, there's usually a band leader, some guy who's kind of like, in charge of like listening but you know sometimes you get bands coming in they're not listening to each other you know that's probably where the mistakes come in but I just think the smartest thing is just making sure you talk to the producer a lot making sure that they are the right fit for you just because someone's done a record you like doesn't mean they're the right fit for you that's you know? very very true any producer worth if they've answered an email I'm sure they will answer another one you know what I mean mm. and maybe they'll even get on Skype with you you know what I mean if if you pique their interest enough then they will talk to you. And if, you know, I know everyone's busy and we don't always get time to do that, but, mm-hmm. you know, two minutes on the phone can mean a lot, you know? And it's it can, true. And, you know, maybe it can get you out of trouble. Like, there's definitely bands I've worked with where I wish I didn't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if I talk I, to them, I, you know I've, what I mean? And, I've definitely learned to spot it as well. Like, you know, it's just yeah. like, okay, you know what? I've had to say a couple of times, like, you know what? Like, I, I already have a bad feeling about this. Guys, you should really find somebody who gets what you do a little bit better yeah usually yeah. that falls under the new metal category but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm the same with like you know i'm the same with like all like the kind of warp tour like double kicks and like crazy synths kind of bands like <laughs> you know what if you're into that that's totally cool but like I, I would be terrible at producing that for you if i did that for you like i would i would not be cool i wouldn't you know like i don't really understand that music and why would I record it if I don't understand it? You know, like I'll give it a shot, but it probably wouldn't be as good as somebody who like really loves that music and would do it for you. You know, so you know, I, as a producer, you hate to turn down something which is going to put food on the table, but totally. at the same time, you know, you have to, you know, you got to think about the bands as well. You know, so what happens when you and a band disagree about something? By then, hopefully, like at that, you know, unless it's in the pre-production stage, I I think like. I always try to hang out with a band for breakfast before we go, you know, before we go to the studio. Mm. I, so we're not just going in, hey, I've got the drum set up, let's go. You know what I mean? I always yeah. try to like, you know, like I said, time doesn't always allow for that, but I always try to like get another band first and try to hang out with them so they can trust you. Mm. I think trust is, is the most important thing you can have because then you can bring up ideas which may be completely alien to them and they're, they're at least willing to entertain it. So if, if I'm disagreeing with a band and I think they're kind of going down the wrong path, I'll be like, please just indulge me for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's try this out. And then usually at some point, you'll come up with some hybrid between your idea and their idea, which is even better than your, you know, the idea you were going for. And then everybody wins, you know? And sometimes, you, you know, like I said, you just read the room and if everyone's like kind of looking nervous, you know, you're like, okay, let's just, let's just go where you got. You know, I will put my case forward. I will really try hard to like explain why. But, it's their band. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, as controlling as, you know, 
you know, we're all kind of control freaks, I guess, if we're all producers, you know what no, I mean? You know, to, no. to a certain degree, I guess, that's why we do it, right? Because, you know, it's, it kind of like scratches an itch we have, you know what I mean? Where we can just kind of like, everything's in this right box, you know? Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, maybe we're not as bad as that, but maybe we are, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been liking to call it like, um, you, you almost become like a reverse engineering freak of like that you, what you, what you get addicted to is the idea of that you're going to be able to have control over something, learn how to do it. And that's an empowering thing for a person with that type of personality. But yeah, you, you hit on a great point there. Yeah. So I don't know. So other, other, like other areas I get into that. So I was talking about like trust, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, like I said, you just, you just have to become, you know, the fifth, sixth, fourth, tenth member <laughs> of the band, you know, if you're doing Slipknot. You, yeah, know? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I, it's all about trust and then you just bring things up and you know what, you know, if you're like a, if you've lived, you know, a life for like more than 20 years, hopefully you've probably figured out how to like read people or when to drop shit, you know what I mean? And not to like, when not to steamroller steam over people, you know? So, I think the, the hardest time I have is when people send me mixes because I do a lot of mixing. Yes, that's real hard because mm-hmm. I, I used to make the mistake of like, hey guys, you want to listen to the mix like halfway through? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, dude, this sounds terrible. You're like, of course it does. It's halfway done. Yeah. <laughs> but you're like, you're trying to be like, hey, look, this is sounding pretty good because it already like kicks the ass of the like, you know, the, the rough mix or whoever mixed it before. You know, because I mean? you're always doing it for somebody, you know, you're always remixing it, you know what I mean? From somebody else who did it. You, they're like, I want it to sound organic. You're like, awesome, cool. It's my favorite shit. So you send them back an organic mix, and they're like, "Why in the drums slamming?" And you're like, "Okay, w- give me a give me an example you want to sound like." And then they send you the most drum replaced, like yeah. edited to death song. You're like, "If you just told me that straight away, mm-hmm. we would have been totally cool." Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, so you know, it's just it's it's not so much disagreeing on that. It's just like that's one thing. Like probably goes back to like what's the smartest thing bands can do mm-hmm. is like when you're doing when you're sending mixes out to to you know to you know mixes and producers. It's just be very, very clear about what you, what you want, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess I don't do that so much now because, you know, I, I try to communicate more with people, but yeah, it's just, it's all about communication. That That's all this job is, is communication. Once you've learned how to like EQ things, mm-hmm. a microphone, you know, you know, mic things up, like it's all about just reading people and, you know, delivering what they want and making them feel good. And because if they're happy, you're happy, everything goes smooth, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, it's, it shouldn't be hard, you know? It really shouldn't be hard to, to make records. It should be fun. But, you know, you will have some drummers who will you know, <laughs> make it not fun. <laughs> I like that. But, so so yeah. you've mentioned that you've worked with a lot of great producers. Can you tell us a lesson that you've learned from one that the audience might enjoy? It wasn't so much like one lesson, but like working with Eric Valentine. Like up until then, I was working in like a, like a semi-pro studio, mm-hmm. you know, just recording. I had to work for bands that, you know, the studio manager was bringing in. So I would just, you know, I'd get to work on my favorite bands in the night, but then I had to work like a day job bands. You mm. know what I mean? And I thought I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Then, then I went to Eric Valentine's studio. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, you're like, Jesus, I don't know shit. Yeah. I don't know sh- jack shit about anything. So just watching him do things was, was amazing. You know, like just watching him, like the, the, the most brutal thing he did to like a drummer at the time was, he would take the drums. Not only were like the drums harder to play, he would he would give him like a twenty six inch kick drum, which would be a lot harder to get a tone out of. Yeah. But obviously, would record better, you know, because Eric's like a tweaky genius. Mm-hmm. But he would he would pull like the cymbals like twenty feet away from the drummer. <laughs> the toms would be like six feet in front of him, and it was all like set up for like mic placement, uh-huh. you know, which is awesome. 
it was just it was kind of like Jesus. You you can if you need the best results. Sometimes you need to push people real hard. Hmm. You know what I mean? And that's how these people again these best results. And yeah, I'm all about making people feel comfortable. But you know, there, there are times when you have to really push people. To, you know, to to the extremes. Like when when I tracked base with him. Like I was kind of like a purist and like I played with my fingers a lot and I mm. thought I was pretty like a bitching finger kind of player because mm. that's a big deal. Like, no, it's not, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, but I thought he was. You know? yeah. I was like, hey, I can totally shred with my fingers, man. That means I'm better than people who can play with a pick. Then he's like, can you play all these songs with a pick? I'm like, no, dude, I play with my fingers. And he's like, no, on this record, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, so, so I started laying down my fingers. Was, Dude, let me just let me just show you what I got. You know, so yeah. <laughs> I started laying it down. And he goes, "Yeah, sounds cool, but like, just play those four notes with a pick." I'm like, "Fuck!" Oh, so I had to play the whole record with a pick, which I'd never used before in my life. Wow, which which was brutal. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you know. Yeah, I, I, so, I've, I've done some more to a basis before. They don't love me until they hear it back. Yes, yeah, and like you know, as soon as I heard it back, I was like, okay, that's. I, I think that was the first time I learned being precious about your instrument is is a fucking lie. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all about the bigger thing, you know. So ever since then, I've been playing with a pick and having a much easier time recording bass. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that that was like a pretty big lesson I learned there, and just yeah, just watching his attention to the detail, mm. watching how he would like be detective things. Mm. You know what I mean? Where he would just slip things around and maybe keep whole sections. He wasn't just putting things on a grid. Mm. There were certain times where he would put things exactly on a grid. Certain times where he would leave like eight bars alone for a feel. You know what I mean? Mm. Like when he was tuning vocals, he would only tune like the very last edges of the notes you know what I mean when he started a dip he wasn't like just blanket tune and everything mm. so I definitely learned a lot of him you know in like how much finesse can go into things you know so they don't sound overly done huh. you know so but yeah and then like working with Bob Rock mm -hmm. I learned like we so our drummer left after recording our record for some reason <laughs> oh really <laughs> I didn't realize with that Eric part the I, yeah I think he was kind of like fuck this you know? wow <laughs> I'm not doing that again no he he left for other reasons mm -hmm. but um he had kids and you know we were like going on tour for like a year you know what I mean yeah. it was you know it wasn't it wasn't the best time so we 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 did a record with Bob Rock Josh Freese played drums oh wow and we all played along with him you know with headphones on playing with Josh Freese so I'm just like just fucking happy as fucking you know I'm just happy as a pig and shit mm -hmm. just like trying to keep up with Josh Freese just fucking trying to stop crying and smiling at the same time <laughs> you know what I mean just like this is amazing you know and then you go in and you hear like the way like Bob processes everything like we're in Sunset Sound on like the Neve desk oh, in like a Studio A I think it is oh wow and, um, yeah so you got like a perfect recording experience yeah so like so you go out and you listen to the you listen back to the take and you're like is that the record? You know what I mean? He goes, pretty much. And you're like, holy shit, we can do that. You know what I mean? It was, it was so cool. You hear these tones coming back, which were like so dialed in. And later on, he gave me like the multi-track. Oh, wow. And when I would solo the drums, like the kick drum sounded perfect. You know what I mean? The snare was perfect. You know, it was just like, okay, so maybe put in 10 decibels of like 10K on a snare mm -hmm. is totally fine. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean? yeah. you know, you know, when I started, you know, like, you know, like I said, you know, back in my the days of my theoretical training. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't learn <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, they're like, hey, you know, maybe 2 dB is too much. You know, move the mic. You're like, are you fucking, you can't get a modern snare sound moving the mic that much. You know what I mean? You can, ev everything should be in the right place. Face should be accurate. You know, you should always get the best you can with the raw tracks. But do you know how much processing goes on? You know what I mean? And, and like modern rock drums these days, yeah. you know? So I see a lot of people send me stuff and they're like, you know, it's just, it's just sounds like cardboard, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, so then you have, you work out a few. Anyway, that's, so that was a cool lesson to like, see like how far, 
people push things in processing, you know? Okay, so let's do the thing where we, we try to do some rapid-fire questions. Yeah, Your sentences sure. are less on how you feel about some modern production things. Um, talk to me about how you feel about amp simulators. If I've got like a Marshall stack in front of me and I got a Marshall amp simulator, then I'm going to mic up the amp, mm. obviously. But if, you know, if some kid is like, sent me a song and he sent me the DI and he sent me the amp simulator track and I think the amp simulator track sounds cool when I'm mixing something for somebody I'll use it mm-hmm. you know like if it sounds good like they don't always stack up well but sometimes it's it's a perfect way to get a different sound against something else you know like I've definitely made records where we've had no budget where it's been one amp for the whole record mm-hmm. so I go back and I'll DI stuff you know I'll DI it and then I'll run some amp sims just to get some different tones and maybe try and blend them in like one thing I learned you know, working with like Eric and Bob was, they would have like three amps going for guitar sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, the bit, the bass would be like four amps. It'd be like a DI, an SVT, like a B15, you know, like, you know, the old school flip top mm-hmm. Motown bass amps. And then some kind of like weird, like PV, like guitar amp, you know what I mean? Which is really solid state and nasally and kind of just made every note stick out, you know? So I'd learned to like kind of blend sounds that way. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely use like, amp simulators to, to you know blend sounds if i couldn't do it in the studio if you know if the studio didn't have the right gear to do that yeah and you know there's there's a song on the no devotion record uh, permanent sunlight where the guitarist recorded like the the main riff in the intro we tried to recreate him we couldn't do it as good as the, his stock logic mm. guitar sound you know what i mean it just sounded so right hmm. like we record you know we recorded through five different amps and it sounded i guess it sounded like quote unquote better mm. but there was just things so cool about his original demo that we just kept it Hmm. You know, so time and a place, you know? That's that's rad. Um, how, yeah. how about sample drums? When I mix in, usually 90% of the time. No, that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's, you know, it's, you know, like, I, I never try to, like, replace, mm-hmm. but there's definitely been times where I've had to replace, you know, with no devotion, sample drums come in pretty big because I'm always layering in, like, weird electronic sounds with the acoustic drums. You know, I always try to have the performance of a live drummer. But if I wanted to sound like, you know, Blue Monday, you know what I mean? Then I've got to use, like, different kick drum sounds. So... You know, when I'm sending, you know, like the song, like Eyeshadow probably has like five snares on it. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And like loads of kick, you know, just, 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 just to make it sound kind of like electronic, but still kind of feel cool, you know? So whatever it takes, like, you know, my, my favorite approach, I guess, would be to track the, the, the drums myself and then, you know, take samples at the end. And then if like hot, I don't usually put them on story, but if I'm halfway through the mix and I just feel like the snare isn't cutting it, then I'll. I'll layer, you know, the, the sample in mm-hmm. underneath just to get rid of the bleed. I've tried using Dramatom. Yeah, I, I love Dramatom. Yeah, like I'm, I'm like 50-50, uh, like the success right now. Yeah, right now. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there that it doesn't work on everything, but when it, when it saves you, oh. Oh, dude, <laughs> it's un- unbelievable, right? Yeah. And, you know, and like I watched, you know, I watched, I'm going off topic. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. I watched like Kurt's, you know, creative live. Yes, lessons, yes, yes. And I watched your, I watched a couple of your, you know, I watched your um, mm-hmm. fundamentals, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. Thanks. I thought everybody, everybody in the band should watch that, by the mm-hmm. way. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> just, just, no, just, just, just again, like it just gives you a real good understanding of, you know, like, you know, even though I feel like I know the basics, it's always good, good to go back every mm-hmm. couple of years and just relearn them all. Cause there's always things you just skip over and you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I, fi- <laughs> just I, find things- I just forget some very basic yeah. things that give me new inspiration. And like, I kind of love going back every once in a while of even like yeah. reading like real old tape op issues. That's just sitting on the thing. And I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, I totally forgot that. Like you can do that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I loved watching. I thought your career live lesson was amazing. Oh, I love watching that. I spent a whole day with you <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> it's very so now i feel like i know you <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but um 
<laughs> or or, or my not. underslept so, self that day. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, isn't that just life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but no, watching, you know, watching Kurt talk about how he like processes his drums, mm-hmm. you know, without samples and everything was pretty cool, you know, so, but yeah, whatever works, man, whatever works, you know, like, I think, I think like Josh Holm told Joe Barisi, you know, and he's like, just make the song do what the song has to do, mm-hmm. you know, just, just make the song, you know, just the song will tell you what to do. And, you know, without sounding like a hippie, like I, 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 I sometimes I'll sit there with the mix and I'm like, I just turn up the faders and I'm like, Okay, dude, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just you just gotta kind of feed off it because there's certain songs that I guess you have somewhere you you know a band will send you thing and you're like, I don't know where to start on this, mm-hmm. you know. So you just you know because you, you, just starting with the drums doesn't feel right and you just it just kind of slowly kind of reveals itself to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In some kind of way, you know, and like that's that's the, my favorite way of working is just kind of let this just let it happen i i, I like that like i, I th- there's somebody who just said on one of the podcasts like uh you let the song tell you what it wants you to do and, yeah yeah and that i, I think that that's that, that is the thing um so you already hinted at it uh pitch correction yeah as a personal taste i've always kind of preferred singers with character mm-hmm. you know, like david bowie and like robert smith mm-hmm. you know and like i think jeff's voice yes. has an amazing character and like is so unique you know so and ironically I in w- your band he blends the two of yeah. those influences very well <laughs> yeah 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 like you know when when he came and sang on like one of the first demos i did i was just like holy shit i found the guy i want you know what i mean it was amazing he just nailed it anyway anyway yeah um so so my my preferred thing to do is i like to just i kind of like to gather the singer in a control room with me mm-hmm. and I, I like to put on headphones mm-hmm. and i like to just let them feel like they're really like owning what they're doing mm-hmm. you know I, I like to go through each line with them until they feel perfect and i like to punch my way all the way through the song mm-hmm. rather than just kind of just going for takes yes. some people you just have to some people you just have to go for takes and you just have to go give me your best six takes mm-hmm. And you know, you just you just hope for the best. You know, what yeah. I mean. And there's other people where you can just sit there and you can say, "Okay, dude, I think you can announce it this better. I think you can do this better." Mm-hmm. You know, and you can just you can guess thing where you're like you're pretty stoked on it, where you feel like really it shouldn't need any tuning. Yep. And that's my that's my ideal thing. And then as I mix in, maybe like the odd note might feel sour, and then you'll just punch her up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sometimes hard to tell where vocals sit until everything else is like giving it a hug mm-hmm. in the mix. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you can do anything in isolation that can sound terrible. You can solo a snare or a kick drum in isolation. You're like, this sounds out of time. Then mm-hmm. you hear the whole groove going and you're like, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is, this drum is killing it. Mm-hmm. I would have edited this if I looked at the grid. Yep. You know, so, you know, so I'm always very conscious of like not trying to, you know, take the like, the magic or the rock and roll or the grease or whatever the fuck you want to call it mm-hmm. out of out of recording you know like i'm very scared of like killing you know the yeah the magic i guess out of things you know and the life squeezing the life out of things nice but um so that's, so, a, yeah, that's so, a great fear to have <laughs> you know like it's I, I, yeah I, i've been i've been talking yeah. about this a lot lately that um you know like those classic bumper stickers like no fear it's like you know what there's there's a few things that are very good to, to fear like i live my life in fear of <laughs> taking things out of groove. I live my life in fear of stagnancy yeah. and that makes my life yeah. better. Yeah. I'm always like, you know, very worried about over detecting stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and even though, you know, it's sometimes you have to like, you know, sometimes you, you've got to lock drums in with like electronic groove and you've just got, yeah. you know, it's got some like craft work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's other times where you just, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. Like I know I had, there's a band I mixed last year called sick feeling. Yes. Yeah, so so that, which, that's Don DeVore's band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which like, that's like that's some like even though I guess maybe not that's not like the best on a record in the world. I think that record sounds awesome, dude. I think uh, me too. Are- I like you know, but like I played to some people and they kind of look at me like you know like like a 
dog has been kicked. You know? Well, I think there's also the thing of like be- between the vocals and Don's been the most interesting guitar player that people oh, don't amazing. know for 20 years. And I agree. You just you're you're either going to get what he does or you're not. Yeah, and I had the mo- like that was probably the the most terrifying mix I've ever done. Really? Oh yeah. So <laughs> so so Jeff had told me that yeah. So the record has the somebody else had mixed it and it didn't work out. Yeah. And then you came in and saved the day. He told me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's very nice of him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, yeah, they, he, 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 was, he was saying nothing but great things about, about what you did uh, on it. So Yeah, it was it was so much fun to do. It was just, Don is, has a very special mind, mm-hmm. which I love. But when he's like labeling guitar tracks, it's like guitar one, guitar two, guitar three, guitar four. Mm-hmm. And you're like, is this, is this like another mic? Mm. Or is this an ambient mic? What is this? So it, it took me, I had like two days to mix the whole record as well. Wow. So, and it was like, here's, here's the record. And you like 80 tracks of guitar. Wow. <laughs> so it was just like, holy fucking shit. So that was, uh, that was a, a record where I really tried not to like fuck up the groove. You know mm. what I mean? There was, there was points in there where you could say it was, a, you know, sloppy, but it's, for me, that's like one of the most perfect like punk rock records I've heard in a long time. You know, yeah. like I was so, when he sent me the rough mixes, I was so stoked to work on it. I was like, are you sure? You know, mm-hmm. you're going to let me do this? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was so fucking excited to do it that, and I still listen to like liberal arts and I'm like, mm. I still get goosebumps when I hear it. Whenever, whenever it kicks back in, I'm just like, holy shit, this is so fucking heavy. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I, you know, that's just another case of where I think like if I tried to like, quote unquote, overly mix it, mm-hmm. I think I would have fucked it, you know? So I just tried to keep it as raw and as energetic and Jesse has such a cool voice, mm-hmm. you know, that I, I just wanted to sound like he was trying to rip my throat out, you know? And yeah, it was a lot of fun to mix that record. That's killer. I, I don't know if I saw on topic of anything. No, it, okay, it, it, it's go. still good. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you master your own records? I can master, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't consider myself a mastering guy. Like if I do like an EP for somebody and I've, I've, you know, I've mixed the three songs and someone's like, Hey, can you master, you know, we haven't got any money left. Mm-hmm. Can you like make it sound loud? So it doesn't sound like, you know, just wet compared to everything else yep. on Spotify, then I'll master it. But I think a couple of other guys said it's like, why fuck up a record, you know, when you can get somebody else to be objective over it, you know yeah, what I mean, after. Yeah. So I will always, always give it to a mastering guy. And, you know, there's Heber who like, Heber or Heber? Yeah, sorry, Heber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Kadri at uh, Timeless mm-hmm. is amazing. She's super cool. Yeah, she's uh, like, uh, lo- right, right, right around the corner from my apartment, actually. Oh, awesome awesome she's amazing mm-hmm. she's she gets it like everything like i wanted her to do to certain songs she just she just did it straight away nice whereas usually i'm like kind of just not into what mastering guys do mm. you know i was always a little scared of them yes i could and, understand um, yeah you know because you know like i definitely like i said i like things to sound raw i'm definitely into things kind of being out of control mm-hmm. and a lot of mastering guys are scared of that yes uh, and i'm like that's the point yeah you know well, like, there's too much steely dan in mastering i always say yeah <laughs> i agree yeah it's like they're in a perfect room mm-hmm. you know which is amazing mm-hmm. you know what i mean i'm not knocking it. i've worked in you know like i've worked with some mastering people who are amazing mm-hmm. but uh yeah they it can sometimes get a little like too clinical and too much of an exercise you know mm-hmm. so yeah like i think like you know i know you you were talking to alan mm-hmm. um and he was, you know, Converge, like Jane Doe is like one of my inspirations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, that sounds like a live show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds amazing, but does it sound good compared to like a Chris O'Dowd's mix? <laughs> Fuck no. You yes. know what I mean? <laughs> but like, would it sound good if, it's, if Chris O'Dowd's mix it? Fuck no. no. You know what I mean? So it's just this, it's just the most brutal kind of like, anyway, that, that's like one of my favorite records for like just capturing the like ferocity of a band. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just fucking... It's, every time I put it on, I'm scared of it. Nice. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty should, great way of putting it. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Like, that's exactly what it should sound like. And then obviously, Kurt does his own things, and Kurt is 
Yeah. He's a huge inspiration as well. He's amazing. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, if, if we do him, if we, you know, if I'm doing three songs for you and you need a master because you haven't got much budget, then I'll do it. But mm-hmm. please, like, let's spend the money and get somebody else to master it. Yes. I'm right there with you. So we talked, a, got a little bit into the No Devotion. So as somebody who really yeah. likes this record, has listened to it a ton, can you tell me about some of the ideas that went into the No Devotion record production-wise? Yeah, yeah. for me, it was just songs that had been lying around like on my hard drive for years. Mm. You know, like, like you know, there's a song, I Want to Be a God, I wrote in like 2007, I think. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they're all quite old and they never would have fit in the last band. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Maybe not everybody knows what happened to my my last band, hmm. but I would probably spare yourself looking yes. at what happened to my last band because you'll have like David Finch nightmares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I still have every night. You yeah. know, it's like it was one of the darkest periods of my life. When I started doing No Devotion, it just it just kind of it just kind of crept out of me really easily. And like as soon as I had about five songs, and I sent it out to the rest of the guys, and they kind of started writing stuff as well. It, we never really meant to sound like anything. It just it was just what kind of came out i guess influence wise i was very into like a place to bury strangers oh, okay yeah like, very like you know they're very piercing guitars i just wanted it to sound slightly better you know because mm-hmm. the first as much as i love the first place to bury strangers record it's a bit of a tough listen yeah you know, it, <laughs> you know what i mean a like, lot of grading 4k in that record yeah it's very it's very harsh you know and like i'm usually very forgiving on things but Th- that's uh, that's that's a harsh toke. <laughs> it's a, definitely a tough one to take down, but um, but the ideas are great, you know. Mm. Like the, you know, they they have great sounds. So I, I've always been into textures and like 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 I said, like David Bowie was a master influence when I was a kid, and like Heroes is one of my favorite records. So mm-hmm. I was really into the instrumental stuff, and um, you know, like like I use loads of ebos on like No Devotion, so that was I probably stems from like Heroes again. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, or he so was, me, though, though, on Heroes, isn't that the uh, other thing that's not the Ebo? Like, the uh, he had a special one invented for him. I can't think of the name of it now. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up. I'll send it to you afterwards. Yeah, I, I know. I know, yeah, awesome. I know it was Fripp through, like, yeah. some crazy, yeah, you know, and, like, feedback into himself. and mm-hmm. Yeah, but whatever it was, I thought it was an Ebo. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, he actually had, like, before Ebos were made, he had... A different way of doing an Ebo invented. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's you know what it is. It's also polyphonic. Right. Right. Um, I'll I'll, I'll find it, dude. Um, yeah. So anyway, but, you were saying. Yeah, I think like so the the whole record just kind of Jeff came out to LA mm-hmm. when I was still living there and literally laid down four 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 of the you know four of the eleven songs straight away like and the the vocals stayed from that demo mm-hmm. in my house you know in my bedroom to like to the record the, the whole thing was just very organic kind of didn't try hard just had fun you know it was the complete opposite of other records i made you know mm. we, it was all about just having fun and just making music we'd be proud of you know especially after what happened mm. um every song every song was done in like a different studio probably like there were some songs recorded in like I, w- I would always like bum free time in the there's like Hurley recording studios mm-hmm. in San Diego I'd go down there and track drums down there and then I'd track drums in like you know a, a rehearsal spot Joby from the Bronx let us camp in his studio for a week nice when we first got together so he was like yeah, I called him up and I was like hey can I use the studio you know do you know anybody he's like I'm going on tour just use mine mm. because you guys have had a tough enough break just come up and use this you know we, we toured together a while ago mm-hmm. so 
you know, he was like, just come in, like, just so I set it up, just so I slept in his control room for like a week. Wow. While we, <laughs> me and Jeff were sleeping there and like the lead, the guitarist, we, we, we slept in like his, on the floor in his studio and uh, made like half the record there. And then, yeah, so it just kind of, then we, then um, we finished off the record at um, the House Under Magic in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And um, we got Matt Tong from Block Party to play drums. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Three songs. He played drums on Pernal Sun, like Why Can't I Be With You? Another song called Death Rattle. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the least unlike him ever. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, so Great I think you drummer, can probably though. tell. So awesome. Like, I was so fucking nervous recording him because, like, I think Silent Alarm is probably one of the best debuts of all time. Right, right, right there like, with you, yeah. Like, the, the drum sound is amazing. Mm-hmm. The feel is amazing. It's like, in the best possible way, he plays like such a schoolboy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like well, it's well, very he, he plays like a beginner and, that's very advanced. Yeah, he's he's fucking awesome. And you know, when he started playing like his way mm-hmm. on certain songs, it was like holy shit. And then I'm like, that's cool and everything, but yeah. <laughs> can you play this like Manchester baggy beat for me, please? Nice. You know, this <laughs> and he's like, sure thing. But he was awesome. He was there for you know for three days or so. I was definitely nervous of like recording him. Just because, you know, he's worked with, like, Jackknife Lee and yeah. know, Paul Epworth, and I'm just like, hey, dude, let me record you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I know what I'm doing, you know what I mean? But I'm not those guys, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, it was super awesome. And the, the, the drum room was probably about as big as a toilet. Wow. You know, like, I thought it was going to be bigger, but it's, you know, it's, it's good enough. But, you know, it was I was expecting a little more room, but, New, hey, you make New, it work, New York, you know? New York studio. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what I, uh, that's what I call my Studio B. It's like, it's very New York inspired. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, so, like, that... Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, cool. And then we got the then we got to mix the whole thing with uh, like apart from one song, we mixed the whole thing with Dave Fridman. Nice. So we got to spend a, got to spend a week with Dave Fridman, and just got to see him just be. He's probably one of the most inspiring people I've met. You know, mm. just because he's so unassuming and so like he's such like a G shucks kind of guy. You know what I mean? He's That's like, awesome. oh, hey Stu, how's it going? You know, he's like got his glasses on. You know, he's very kind of like unassuming. And then you're like, can this guy, like, is this is this the right guy? You know, huh. you know what I mean? You're expecting, like, this crazy, like, Wayne Coyne kind of, like, genius, mm-hmm. you know, freak guy. Mm-hmm. And then, and then like, he'll put your drums up and they're just, like, distorted and sucking and blowing and nasty and everything's just fucking thick, you know what I mean? And then, I'm like, how'd you get your sound then? And he's showing me how he's, like, driving his compressor into, like, his converters to clip them, you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I know, like, he gets some slack, you know, flack from people for being a little too aggressive mm-hmm. with his mixes, but... Oh, I, I don't agree. I think, he, <laughs> I think they're fucking full of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, th- I think, like, the energy he brings mm-hmm. is just is integral like it's all all we're trying to do is capture energy you know like it sure it'd be be great if we had the right amount of 10k here and like you Mm. know everything was in its right place but energy is energy and focus and dynamic you know is that's that's where the magic lies you know it's yeah distortions energy and he does distortion for the energy perfectly he is he is a fucking genius yeah like yeah. I, 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 when I had first heard that Thursday was going to him, I was like, oh, thank God, because yeah, yeah, this genre yeah. needs this sound. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, his work is always just so dead on with every band he does. Yeah, he's he's awesome. And he, he was very supportive of, of what I was doing as well, which, again, it was another one for me to store mm. in my bank. Yes. You know I mean? yep. every, every time I'm like, you know, because, you know, there's always that day where you're like, 
I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yep. You know what I mean? And then you go, then Dave Friedman, the little ghost comes in, hey, dude, you're pretty good. Nice, <laughs> you're nice. Like, you're like, okay, cool. Dave Friedman thinks I'm cool. Okay, let's keep going. Nice. <laughs> so I, I always call back on the ghost of Dave Friedman to keep me going. Very true. <laughs> I got him and the ghost of Bob Rock, you know, like, like in Return of the Jedi, you know? <laughs> nice, nice. Very cool. So, so tell me about one of the best moments you've had in the studio. Um, yeah, I think I might have touched upon it earlier, yep. but like I said, just, just going in with Eric Valentine. Mm. And um, again, working with, with Dave Friedman, it's just seeing for the first time how like, quote unquote, the real people make records mm. and seeing like how unafraid they are to do things. Cause I didn't have a mentor. There was no big studios where I grew up. You know, like the, the coolest studio I had was, there was a place called Big Noise down in Cardiff, which was about 20 miles away from where I grew up. And they did a lot of Manic Street Preachers, like mm. B-Sides. So I used to go there because I loved the Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, yeah the totally. Street yeah, Preachers those are, records yeah. are really interesting records. Yeah. And they did um, they did Holy Bible there, mm. which is probably yeah. my favorite one. I just, just I, so I just saw them play it. Uh, I guess last year when they did the American tour. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so but apart from that studio, there was nothing really to look up to. So you know, I was just winging it, reading sound on sound, trying to get yeah. through like the techno babble. You know what I mean? Of like you know talking about whatever the fuck they talk about in that magazine. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's funny for people who don't know, like sound on sound is an English based recording magazine that actually. Ends up, unlike Mix magazine, which it's kind of is its version, it actually has good records in it. Yeah. Unlike Mix, which always has just the worst fucking records, yeah. all the no. Steely Dan stuff. Yeah, Sound and Sound is great. Yeah, I, I actually good. learned. I, I could literally say that a lot of stuff I learned early on was from the same thing. Even though I had good mentors, I also would just read. I, I would spend the seventeen dollars yeah. to buy Sound and Sound every yeah. month. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So I used to like. Anyway, I used to like just eat that up. You know what I mean? And you'd always have to get through the Steely Dan references, you know, but, uh, you know, but then tape up come out mm. and that helped a lot. Like, yeah, never really set foot in a like quote unquote real studio until I worked with Eric. Mm. And that was just, cause the first record we did, we kind of did it ourselves. We produced it ourselves up in like a cheap studio mm. to backtrack a little bit. Like I, I started off working on tape. Mm. I didn't work on Pro Tools until 2004 when we worked with Eric. Mm. So I didn't know what Pro Tools was. Wow. <laughs> I just knew it was something that people who had money and had computers had, you know? That's so, funny. Yeah, like, I was lucky. Like, that was the one good thing about, like, my band was, you know, before we got signed, when we got signed on, like, the EP that we did, you know, mm -hmm. it was all on tape. There was no, you know, it was, you know, if it sucked, do it again, you mm. know, sing it again, you know? Um, so I come from that era. If it wasn't right, it wasn't right. Mm. But anyway, anyway, to go back, to go back, yeah, just going in with Eric mm. and going in with the big guys for the first time and just having my eyes, like, not only just wide open, but like ripped open. You know, nice, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. Just, just kind of like, fuck. Mm. And then just hearing his stories and just seeing like how humble he was. Mm. You know, just because I, you know, before we got signed, we met every producer, you know? Yep. You know, some of those producer guys are pretty fucking douchey. You know what yeah. I mean? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it was real cool to meet someone who's, you know, a sweetheart like he is. That's awesome. How about one of the worst moments and what did you learn from it? I think it's probably when he told me to play the whole record with the pick. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That was up there. And then for some reason, me and Bob Rock used to argue all the time. Mm. And arguing with Bob Rock is not the most fun thing in the world. I'd imagine. I imagine yeah, he's good at it. I just started, I just watched like St. Anger, you know, whatever that movie was called. Where like Lars starts crying or James yep. starts crying yep. or whatever. And I'm like, dude, Bob's a fucking sweetheart. Mm. Like he got... He got so fucked in that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt yeah. so bad for him. Oh, I, I always He's, said, said, I went to see that movie with three other producers, and we all walked yeah. out. We were like, that was like going to the worst day of work of all time. And like, we all walked out like, man, poor Bob Rock. <laughs> yeah, dude. He, he's such a fucking good dude. Like, really, he's such a nice dude. 
but we used to gander all the time and like I'd always you know the guitarist would play something and I'd be like mm, maybe maybe you should try something else and you know Bobby would be like well why didn't you produce the record Stuart mm. and I'm like oh for f- Jesus Christ you know so that was and then oh, you know there'd be the moment where the whole band would be like pissed at slang so I'd have to be the guy who would have to go up and say hey Bob can we change this and he'd be Oof. mad at me and then I'd look around for support from my band and it's like you know it's like fucking it's like a cartoon with like you know <laughs> papers flying in the air you know what I mean I'm like thanks a lot guys thanks for fucking sticking up for me <laughs> you <Nice>. know so <laughs> yeah and like you know any the other worst times just you know when you're the computer breaks you yeah. know you're on a big session or there's a band in you know and you're like you've you've completely like squandered your time you yeah. know what I mean like you didn't realize you're squandering in you're like fuck we're five days in and we've got like two drum tracks yeah you know, what I mean? you know like it happens you know what I mean it's, you don't want it to happen you don't plan for it to happen be like okay I guess I'm up for the till for the next four days of my life yeah just finishing this off but yeah you know I've been pretty lucky to have you know really good you know really good luck in studios and I you know I've been lucky to do what I've done so you know, even the worst day in the studio really isn't that fucking bad. You know, my dad grew up as a, you know, I, I grew up in like a small mining town. I thought mm. I was going to work in, in like mining for coal. Wow. You know what I mean? So That's I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, what's the worst thing I did? Well, it's not that bad, really. Yeah. So let's get into your taste on some things. What's a perfect record someone's made and what about it makes it perfect? There's a record that came out about 10, about 12 years ago by a band called Autolux called uh, Future Perfect. For some reason, like it did everything that I loved hmm. in the bands that I couldn't. Like I love Sonic Youth, mm-hmm. but there was definitely moments of Sonic Youth where I'd be like, "Okay, you lost me." Yeah, yeah, totally. You know I mean? and, and, and the Pixies, I'm like, I love the Pixies, but okay, you lost me. Mm-hmm. And then I used this, I used this, I used this album by Autolux, and the first thing that comes into these just awesome sounding fucking drums. Mm. I don't know if you've heard the record. No, you, you know what's uh, funny? They were always one of those bands I feel like it'd be on my list to listen to, and then yeah. I just didn't get there. It's very kind of spacey and it's very kind of like, you can like just listen to it. You can tell whoever recorded it. Like it was, it was um, T-Bone Burnett. Oh, okay. It. Yeah. And um, I think Dave Soddy mixed it and Dave oh, Soddy yeah, is like one king. of my favorite. Yeah. King. He, yeah. He's like one of my favorite mixed guys, you know, mm-hmm. mixed engine uh, and producers, but like, so like just straight away, there's just the thickest drums you've ever heard just come in playing this figure on its own. And then these perfect guitars come in with this voice, which just sounds like perfectly disembodied with all these like textures in the background. I was like, holy shit. Like if anything could sum up like how I listen to music in my brain, this is the record, you know? Hmm. And I don't even know if it's like the best record ever. There's definitely songs on it, which, you know, you're like, okay guys, I get the point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) You know what I mean? But you know, but it's for me, like that record always, whenever like, even though it may be not my favorite record of all time, mm-hmm. I'm just always inspired by it. And every time I listen to it, I just think it's incredible. You know, I, I haven't so much dug the stuff they've done post that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just the chord choices, the the tone choices, the way it's layered, the way it's minimal in places, just just everything about it just feels like it's its own thing. You know, it just feels like its own kind of genre. It's very inspired by like, you know, you could like trace it back to like My Bloody Valentine and Sonic Youth and all that stuff, you know, and like there's a lot of kind of like Beatles influences and a lot of like, you know, Velvet Underground going on in there, but there's also a lot of like DJ Shadow going on there. You know what I mean? Like, Okay, I can't wait to listen to this now. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be like, dude, this album sucks. (laughs) Just just remember it came out in 2004, okay? So maybe maybe it's been like- I I think 2004 is a good era for records that weren't overly Pro Tools. As long as you avoided that thing where you overly chopped, that was a good era for records. Yeah, it was like, I know like everybody- 
you know, I've listened to the po- a few of the podcasts you've done, mm. and everybody's into Jimmy Eat World. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, I love Jimmy Eat World, mm. but I think, like, the one bad thing about the Jimmy Eat World record is, like, everyone assumed it was Pro Tools. Yes. So everybody then made records they assumed would be like Jimmy Eat World and just edited and killed everything to death. They t- completely missed the point that Jimmy Eat World had amazing songs. Yeah, and, 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 you know and I mean? one of the most rock-solid drummers who barely needs yeah. to be edited. Yeah, but uh, first, oh, it's edited. It has to be edited. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, the harmonies are too good. It has to be ordered to mm. It's like, no, yeah. no, maybe it just has to be the fact that they're fucking awesome and yeah. stop being so fucking mm. lazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, I think that's the other thing is that most of the people needed that editing to get anywhere even near where those guys, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, like I always say it, it's like, you know, when people talk to me about Dave Grohl, I say Zach Lind. He's just, you know, to me that he's a, the best compositional drummer out yeah. there. He's amazing. Yeah. Let's get into five of your favorite records in your musical growth and where they took you on your growth. Yeah. So the first record I remember, obviously I was like, I grew up in Britain. So like mm. good thing about being growing up in Britain is in the charts when I was, when I was a kid, I think they'd re-released like Joy Division when I was a kid. Oh, wow. So, so I remember like being like. 10 mm. and like Love, Love Will Tear Us Apart was on the radio all the time mm. and I, a couple of years later I got into like David Bowie mm-hmm. so I was lucky to kind of be into like quote unquote like artistic music yes. very early in life you know what I mean my dad was into like the Beatles mm. so it kind of got to the point where by the time I was like 18 I didn't need to listen to any of the Beatles because I it all my life mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I felt like I say a I, similar thing a lot yeah yeah it's, it's not that I don't want to listen to the Beatles it's just like I fucking you know 10,000 times I don't think I need to hear it again and I appreciate everything they did you know and uh, I just, it's the same thing like somebody says like oh listen to this Led Zeppelin song I'm like dude I could play it in my head because I heard it yeah, 40,000 yeah, yeah. times before I turned 18 yeah yeah exactly yeah so so I would say Heroes was huge for me mm-hmm. when I was a kid. That that song and that album, and then I bought the I bought the Berlin trilogy. I didn't realize I bought the Berlin trilogy until years later, but uh, I just liked the covers. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I thought Low looked cool because he had cool hair yep. and he was orange. Um, so I bought that and I got into that. And then when I got married, I walked down to like be my wife. You know what I mean? Nice. I'm a fucking sap. <laughs> that's you know? really cool though. That's <laughs> we got like a, I'm a huge Bowie a, fan. I think that's awesome. Yeah, we got like a string quartet to play. You know what I mean? That's um, awesome. And then, yeah, so I was super into David Bowie and I, I just credited him to like keep my mind open, you know, and like not being afraid to listen to anything as like, you know, as I got older. Because there's always scenes, you know, hey, dude, you can't listen to that band because they're not edge. Like this band's edge, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like I can listen to whatever the fuck I want. It definitely, it definitely just kept me open-minded. So going from David Bowie, I kind of had like a Gumby metal phase for a second, mm-hmm. you know, where like, you know, I was into Metallica and like Anthrax and Slayer mm-hmm. because I was... 13 and pissed off mm. and I needed some aggression and then I heard Black Flag yeah and then I was like oh wait a minute this is aggression this is this is real this is this is fucking brutal you know what I mean so I totally got into like you know I got into like the whole like damaged album you know and like that was my favorite one like this is one I got into at the time and I know like that's the best one <laughs> yeah I know everyone's like Keith's better I'm like sorry like mm. Henry Rollins for me was like I was Henry Rollins when I was a kid. I hate to say it. You know what I mean? It's like, I was that angry kid, you know? And like, anyway, so I, I, I got into like the hardcore stuff and then that kind of led into, um, that kind of led me into like Nine Inch Nails, mm. of which I, which I kind of like, I feel as like a segue from like the low era kind of like instrumental stuff from David Bowie. Yeah. Like as much as I love Nine Inch Nails, I love Pretty Hate Machine. Mm. When, when Downward Spiral came out, like I thought the textures were amazing. I just hated what he was singing. I was like, I want, it was just like I was just embarrassed to say I liked it because he's like I want to fuck you like an animal. Yeah, like, it's pretty tacky. Yeah, and he's like I want to fuck everything in the world, and mm. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, 
come on, man. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, that, that, that's but funny like, that you're a teenager and you're like, that's a little tacky. Cause like, yeah, I, I yeah, didn't yeah. have that taste as a teenager. Yeah. But like, but I just couldn't deny how fucking awesome it sounded. Yeah. You know what I, I mean, know. it's like, I mean, that, like, that's the record that turned me into a producer. Uh, that and, uh, yeah. The EP before that, uh, I heard happiness and slavery that I was like, yeah, okay, amazing, I'm going to do right? this for a living. Yeah. I still think like Trent Reznor is like, easily one of my favorite vocalists like mm-hmm. just the sound of his voice against the texture of the music is as about as perfect as it gets you know what i mean like that's a great point yeah you know it's just imagine like somebody else singing on top of that shit it just mm. it would be corny as shit and imagine him singing on top you know all his, all his melodies are kind of like blues melodies i guess they're very kind of like because i you know every now and again i'll try and figure out a vocal melody on guitar you mm-hmm. know just to kind of you know so i don't overdo my like guitar leads you mm-hmm. know and then you learn like one of his melodies and you're like, ding, 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 ding. You're like, I would never play, I would never play that on guitar, you know? But that's funny. Anyway, so he's very simple is what I'm trying to say. And that's why I think is great about him. Yeah. And then, then I kind of got into like Smashing Pumpkins mm-hmm. and I, I loved the band called Afghan Wigs, the yeah. album called Gentleman, which mm-hmm. was huge for me. Like I, you know, listening back now, the lyrics are a little like, little grim yeah a little a little little 90s like angst you know what i mean like let's share too much like the 90s were you know what i mean like everyone was like hey i do too much shit and you know they Mm. everyone had to like over explain their feelings back down a little bit (laughs) that's that's another great point you know what i mean it's like hey it was great at the time but like listening back to it now it's like i'm like okay greg like because greg dooley is like one of my favorite vocalists Mm. again like tons of character i just missed them this weekend sadly yeah i I was lucky to see the reunion show Mm. they did at um my wife got me into the Jimmy Kimmel show. Oh, wow. So, so we got to see like them play outside and I got to like hang out with them backstage and everything. That's Even awesome. When I say hang out, I mean, I got to like look at them and like kind of hide and be mm-hmm. shy. Nice. <laughs> I could have said, I could have met him, but fuck that. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, dude, like your van, man. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> you know, like, fuck that. Yeah. And then, so I got, I got into that. Then Radiohead was huge. Mm-hmm. Okay, computer. And around that time, it was all blur and oasis you know like i always prefer blur because i i just Same. felt like they took they took more chances in music like i guess oasis had better songs but blur just you didn't know what you're gonna get with blur it's true every record you know is I mean? a little bit of a reinvention in the perfect way yeah so i love blur and then then i got really really into dj shadow yeah like like huge into dj shadow the point that i sold my guitar and i bought a sampler wow because I, I was over it i was like you know what i'm over bands like i couldn't find anybody to be in the band with i just started working in the studio mm. i was like this kind of feels like the future to me you yeah, know what i mean like yeah. just like making records you know like from any era you know you could take it you could take like a you know organ loop from the 50s you could take a break from the 70s you could take you know what i mean i was like this, this is fucking amazing you yeah know? That, that uncle record still to this day just stands up as one Amaz- of the b- yeah, biggest yeah, yeah. creative moments in music yeah, yeah, and then Richard Ashcroft mm-hmm. on end. Yeah, amazing. So that was huge for me, like real huge for me. And then I go into, I get, I go into like Ross Robinson, Glassjaw, mm-hmm. you know, at the drive-in, Refused. You know, Shape of Punk to Come is an amazing record, you know. Yep. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a band that wasn't influenced by that, like our age, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then Trail of the Dead, um, yeah. Trail, of, Trail of Dead, Madonna album, Source, Source, Source Tags and Codes was amazing. Then the whole Interpol strokes thing, mm-hmm. you know, like that was great. Um, yeah, I just I'm just kind of going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going through eras right now. Sorry. So um, yeah, then LCD sound system. Yes. You know their records. Like I'm terrible with like album titles and yeah, names. But- I I don't know. I just listen to a record from start to finish, and that's enough for me. And then Deer Hunter, I loved a oh, couple wow. of years ago. Microcastle. Mm-hmm. That that was a huge record for me. And then Portishead three. Yeah, out, that's know, a like, fucking phenomenal record. Yeah, so dark. Like, there's lots of songs on No Devotion, which 
I call like the Portishead three songs. Ah, um, nice, nice. There, there's a song called Grand Central right at the end, mm. which is basically me trying to be fucking, you know, um, Jeff Barrow. Jeff Barrow, yeah, I forgot his name. Yeah, that's like I was like listening to Beak at the time, and I was like, "How mm. can I be darker than Beak?" You know? <laughs> I gotta revisit you know, so, that record some more. You know, I I didn't give that enough plays. It, it's a tough listen, man. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't expect to have a party listen to that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I remember that much. Yeah, yeah. But, so, I, but but his production and his composition sense is always just so amazing. Yeah, like I think yeah, I think like going back, you know, like when I was into DJ Shadow and everything, that's, that's really where I learned how to do production mm. and a lot, a lot of hip hop as well. Like, you know, just, it's like, wait, you got, you got the same beat going for three minutes, a baseline and like a stab and I'm into it for mm-hmm. three minutes. Cause I've never been someone to like really pay attention to the lyrics and rap. I've always liked hip hop or mm. like lyrics to me and that stuff. is just, I don't really care. Like yeah. I, I have friends who can like, they can like, they know every line. And I'm like, are you fucking, how can you remember that? Mm. You know? That's funny. <laughs> but then you, you know, but, it was always about the music to me. You know, I, I would like listen to the instrumentals over the, over the actual record, you know, so. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, that's me. Hey. Okay. Yes. okay. So tell me what's your favorite record of this last year and what inspires you about it? To be honest with the last, so this last year, I loved the Run the Jewels record. Oh yeah. Like. Amazing record. Such a fucking, such an aggressive such a fun record you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's like if you want to party it's a party record if you want to get fucking if you want to feel like a fucking snotty little teenage punk again it's about as, it's about as punk as it feels for me it's you know true. what i mean it's just it's so in your face and so aggressive you know um yeah it's funny like when i saw them uh, play in brooklyn it was like i couldn't believe how many like gutter patch punks there were there and i was yeah, like yeah, and yeah. i was like yeah but it is that feeling yeah <laughs> like i i was totally into company flow mm-hmm. back in like 1996 mm-hmm. so i i've been following like lp for like 20 years you know every couple of years there's a new hip-hop guy who was like the genius guy and i'm like dude you guys have a new fucking lp <laughs> like lp smokes all these guys like smokes them all you know what i mean and then there's a line on the run the duos and it's like you know fuck your raps who produces you you know what i mean and i'm mm. like yeah exactly right like who is your producer you know like that's when it comes to rap it's like i know like you got these guys picking themselves up but it's like dude you'd be fuck all that, that beat behind you i just think lp is amazing and then to be honest with you like i have two kids right now uh-huh. and uh I'm listening to so much pop music. Yes, and that happens. I, I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, listen, I listen to tons of pop music. Yeah, like, you know, like, you know, I think someone else was saying on one of the podcasts is like, I totally got her doing by that fucking new Bieber song. Mm-hmm. You know, the, not the new song, but like, yep. where are you now? I was like, this song is pretty slamming. And it's like, that was Justin Bieber. You're like, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I've been writing, I've been writing like a project for like a pop band. Mm-hmm. And they've, you know, I've been trying to go back and trying to like reverse engineer some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, props to fucking Skrillex. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's incredibly well done. <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, I hate it when people say like electronic music is just easy. It's like try and no. do it, just try and do it. Yeah, and tell me it's easy. You know, it's easy to put a couple of loops together on Apple Loops. Yeah, but, but that's not just, what's happening here. No, that's not what's going on. And if you think that's what's happening, you're a fucking idiot. Porter Robinson talks about uh, his uh, song uh, 400 Years of War," and it's like, yeah. And the, uh, the other coincidence about that song is he put 400 hours into re- writing and recording that song. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, electronic music is easy. Listen to that song compositionally yeah. and tell me that was easy to make. You got to tell what's that song? Uh, Porter just, Robinson, "400 Years of War." It's off the world's record that's my favorite uh that's my favorite record of the last two years awesome yeah now i wish i heard that no. <laughs> then i could have said that and sounded cool nice. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and then yeah a lot of pop music i think what like guitar music i've kind of got a little you know you get a year old i'm mm-hmm. old now i'm yeah. like i've heard it all before but i heard them um, there's a band called title fight I thought oh it was yeah really cool. amazing band like 
yeah, amazing. Like, I thought I was over that kind of sound, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And then someone's like, you should check a title fight. And I'm like, yeah, man, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then I listened to it. I was like, holy fuck, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, so, they, they have a fresh spin on the shoegaze thing that I think actually yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I've been obsessed with is like when you can be influenced by something but also lead on it. And that's, I yeah. think, the men from the boys thing. And they really do still yeah. lead on it. Yeah, I think that it goes back to what we were saying earlier on. It's like, you know, you can have a thousand bands sound the same, but there's that one band which somehow sells it to you and then mm -hmm. it just wipes all away all the fucking doubt. You know, it's like, if it's good, it's good. It yeah. doesn't matter what genre it is. And that's that's really what it's all about, right? Yeah, you know I mean? uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, so the last question is, tell us what you've been working on lately. So I've been finishing up so I've been building a studio. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been like a whole thing. We've been finishing up a, like a pop project we've been mm -hmm. doing, mm -hmm. which um, I got asked to do it. And I was like, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was through a friend of mine. He's like, I think you could kill it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, look, just do what you think is pop. Mm -hmm. You know? So I was like, okay. So I did some songs and they liked it. And we just recorded some vocals. They came over here. They're like a British act. They came over here and we recorded some stuff and we're, we're like three quarters of the way through that right now, wow. and uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty wild to do something so so pop and so out of my kind of comfort zone. So, mm. and it's also cool that my kids will probably like it as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice, because nice. I'm like, hey, you know, they like, you know, they'll see a video of ours, you know, like you know, uh, permanent sunlight video. And they're like, yes, they're like, dad, <laughs> 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 this song is like, I'm like, what do you think of this song? And they're like, kind of doing that thing with their hands, they're like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'm like. I like thanks for the support, you know. So hopefully they like the pop stuff. Um, and then yeah, I've just I've been mixing a ton of records with people. Um, I've kind of I've been trying to like just really kind of be more careful on what I'm picking mm. to to work on, you know, because. I got to a point where I was just saying yes to everything because you know you get terrified of you know not yeah. making money. Yes. I just started saying yes to too many things, and I they're not on my reel. Mm. you know what I mean and I'm just I had a terrible time doing them and I just you know I just didn't have any fun doing it mm. and I'm like is this why I'm doing this so I kind of had to take stock of things for a second so now I'm trying to be a little more selective and I, I you know I tried the pop thing as like a, just to see how that would go yeah yeah and um, yeah and you know I'm really excited to like really excited to finish off the studio I have uh, I have a couple of mixes for a band that I have to do this week I have a a post hardcore band coming in next week to kind of help me like break the studio in for the first time. Nice. You know, cause I'm sure there's something I forgot to do, you know, yeah, <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys just... need headphones. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, you know, so now I'm just, you know, I just like, I'm like, Hey guys, just come in and like this figure it out. And then, then it's right in the, the next no devotion record is basically my next kind of big thing. So yeah. Very cool. That's where I am right now. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 